Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We're speaking about the life of David. And the new series is The King Before the King. The King Before the King. And what we're doing is we're going to take a look at the life of King David as a prefigure to Christ the King. So we're going to see King David as a prefigure to Christ the King and see an example to us of what godly leadership looks like in our life. David is the Old Testament picture of the New Testament believer. So when we speak about David, no, I'm speaking about not just about Christ, but now Christ in you. I'm speaking to you as well. And so we're going to start at the very beginning of the story of David and go through it over the next eight weeks. Let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. We're going to read one verse where we get introduced to our main character for the moment. My name is Jordan Boyce. I'm the pastor here at Awakening Church. If it's your first time, I want you to know you have found a great church, a great family, great home, and I hope you jump in and become a part of all that's going on in the church. Can we welcome those that are coming for the first time, part of the church? The king before the king. First Samuel chapter 16 says this, God's speaking to Samuel the prophet, and God says, fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. I have provided for myself a king. I have searched and I have found and I have chosen a leader, a young man to be used by God. I want you to know God chooses you. And when God chooses you, he anoints you for a life of leadership. God chooses you and anoints you. If he appoints you, he will anoint you. And I want to put it this way. The oil precedes the crown. The oil precedes the crown. God wants to anoint you. And after he's anointed you, he will give you the responsibility of leadership in your life because God is going to use you. Can you say amen? Come on, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we give you this moment, this time right now. God, I pray that you speak directly to us and that, uh, Lord, I pray you do something special in this service. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen. amen. David is a, is a great character in the Bible, an incredible picture of a leader. But what's so interesting is the way it all starts out. He doesn't start out mighty doesn't start out strong, famous, or infamous. David starts out as a child. Starts out as a nobody, just a shepherd in a field. But God is watching. From a long way off, the God of the universe has spotted this young man. In a lonely place, yet he's not alone. The Spirit of God is resting with this young man. The Spirit of God has been wooed by his, uh, his moments of prayer and his times of worship. And David has come to know God in this field. And God has come to know David. And so when God decides it's time for me to raise up a new leader, he doesn't go to the great families. He doesn't go to the castles of the kings. He goes a long way off to the middle of nowhere, find a young man, and he says, this is the one I've chosen. David was a shepherd boy, a young man. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at this shepherd boy who God 
has chosen to become, become king. We will track his journey from the shepherd's field to the battlefield, from the pit to the palace. We're going to see what God does when he chooses someone to become a leader of his people. Why this matters to you is because you are chosen to be a leader of his people. God has chosen you to lead. The only person you're to follow is Jesus. And when you begin to follow Jesus, you become a leader. Why? Because you have a light in a dark world. That means you're the leader. You've got a map and you are off-road, which means you're the one with the leader. You are the one that is receiving direction from God, confirmed by wise elders and counselors in your crew around you, so that you're not just making stuff up on your own, calling it God said. No, your emotions said. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to, I'm not trying to give you a hard time this early. It's not early. It's second service. That wasn't God. That was a burrito. No. I feel a move. No, that's not, that's not God. Listen, God will speak to you. And he will speak to you and confirm it by prophets. By the word of God. By the oil of the anointing. He'll raise you up. He'll process you. But then he's going to release you. It's time to lead. It's time to stand. The first person you are called to lead is yourself. It's also the most difficult person you're ever going to have to lead is yourself. You can tell everyone else what to do, and they'll do what they tell you what to do. But isn't it amazing how much you don't, tell you, you don't do what you tell yourself to do? Right? Paul says the things I want to do, I don't end up doing. The things I really want to do, I can't, I can't make it happen. Can somebody help me? Paul, we're right there with you. The most difficult person you're ever going to have to lead is yourself. But you're chosen to lead. You're chosen to lead out of the word. You're chosen to lead by God. And you're chosen to lead yourself, to lead your emotions, to lead your thoughts. Not be led by poor patterns of thinking, but to not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of the way you think in your mind. You're called to lead your emotions, not be led by your emotions. I'm not saying you don't feel. I'm saying that feelings isn't your God. You're called to lead yourself. But you know, you're not just called to lead yourself. You're called to lead those around you. You're called to lead your family. If you're a husband, you're called to, to lead your home. If you're a wife, you're called to lead in your home. Lead your children. You might think, well, you know, I, I don't have that much influence. I just, I just have these few kids. Can I tell you? That's enough. Like, that's almost more than enough. I can barely lead these two. I go to work to relax. <laughs> Goodbye, honey. Good luck. I got to go to work. Jordan, it's 6 a.m. I got to go. The Lord's calling me. <laughs> I'm kidding. I help. I help. No, uh, you, you, are, you are called to lead in your marriage, to lead in your family. And, and can I even expand this out? You're called to lead in your extended family. God has put you there not just to complain about your friends and family, not, not, not to just, just talk bad about them, not just to gossip about all their horrible decisions. God has put you there to pray for those people. And you know they need prayer. Your cousins need a lot of prayer. When they end up in the hospital and you walk in, I want you to know you don't just walk in as somebody. You walk in as a priest. You walk in as a king. 
You walk in as David. You're not just a crazy aunt. You're a praying aunt. Usually the praying aunt is the crazy aunt. I want you to know you are an intercessor for your family. And some of you are even taking on new roles in your family. Some of you are stepping into areas of leadership that are different than what you used to have. You know, so, so many of us lost grandparents, great-grandparents, and now you're stepping into a new role. I want you to know God will step into that role with you. You are anointed to lead in your family. You are anointed to lead in that moment. And I'm, I, I believe that God will not let you down as you step up. Come on, you're chosen to lead. You're chosen to lead in the church. I'm thankful for those that serve every single Sunday in the A-team. I'm thankful for the crew leaders. I'm thankful for those that serve in We Heart Lives. I'm thankful for those that are taking their next step. Why? Because that's, your, that's what God designed you to do, to begin to progress, to grow deeper, to grow stronger. This Wednesday night, we had so many people out at prayer on Wednesday night. That was amazing to see the church say, our value is prayer. We're going to grow deeper in essentials. We're going to find freedom in the Finding Freedom course. You're chosen to lead. And can I say this? As the church, we are chosen to lead as the church. We cannot rely on the institutions to pick up the slack for us. We will lead in our own communities. Some of you are stepping up in your workplaces. Some of you are stepping up in, in, uh, in your schools, school boards. Some of you are stepping up in areas of politics. Some of you have businesses, and you are taking care of these employees. Can I tell you what that is? That's leadership appointed by God. You say, well, I only have three employees. Don't despise small beginnings. Those three people are being blessed by you, encouraged by you, helped by you, led by you. You say, I'm nobody. I'm just, a, I'm just part of a large organization. No, God has put you as a priest in that organization to stand for truth, to stand for righteousness, to be steadfast, and to have his anointing on you. You're chosen to lead. Peter tells us this in chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are chosen. David was chosen. Paul was chosen. Timothy was chosen. You are chosen. And you are chosen to be royal priesthoods, a holy nation set apart to be used by God. When God decided to move on from King Saul and appoint his own successor and his own man to lead his own people, he comes to the prophet Samuel and he sends him to anoint a brand new king. He tells the prophet, take your horn of oil and I want you to go to Bethlehem, a tiny little town in the absolute middle of nowhere. And I want for you there to search out a man named Jesse, for it is his son that I've called and appointed. So Samuel shows up and the whole, the Bible tells us the whole city comes out to greet Samuel. It would have been like if a large conference is going on and the man has showed up. Samuel, the prophet of God, has shown up. All of the city elders, the Bible tells us, come out. From the city gates, Jesse and the brothers and the family, the whole city. And they're even nervous because here's the prophet, the man of God. And they said, you know, have you come, have you come because we did something wrong? Have you come to, 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 to pronounce judgment? But he says, no, I'm, I'm here to anoint. I want you to know that that is how God works. He anoints his people. God is not here to judge you. 
God is here to rescue you. God is here to rescue you. And he is a holy judge, but he puts Jesus' blood on you. And where there was once sin, he now sees righteousness. And because of that righteousness, you are made right with God. And now you can be used by God to lead others to God. David was anointed. You're called to be anointed. Isn't it amazing? The whole city comes out except for David. David's the only one missing. In fact, Samuel goes to anoint all of his brothers. Jesse's standing there the whole time as if, as if these are the guys. Trust me, it's, it's one of them. You want a king? Start with that dude. Tall, handsome, good-looking, Eliab. Later on, we find out that Eliab was the one that would show up and run away from Goliath over and over and over. I love the Bible because it tells us later on, hey, by the way, this is why God didn't choose this dude. <laughs> Samuel looks at Eliab and he's like, this is the one. And God says, that's not the one. I'm not looking at the outside. I'm looking within. Look goes down the line. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The whole town's here. All the sons are here. And yet none of them are the chosen ones. Samuel says, Jesse, is there someone else? Is there anyone else? And Jesse goes, well, <laughs> there's another guy. It's, but he's the smallest. Can you imagine, like, your dad's calling you small, you know? Trust me, it's not, it's not this pipsqueak. <laughs> Come on, Dad. You know I'm working out. <laughs> yeah, there is, there is this one other one. Samuel says, get him. We're not going to move on until he shows up. He chooses the shepherd boy. He's out in the field. He's with the sheep. I don't think this is a small thing, by the way. I think it's the exact reason why God chose David. It's that when the celebration's going on, he's not afraid of being alone. As when the crowd gathers, he's not looking for the applause or approval or accolades of man. He's satisfied with solitude. There's three godly qualifications I want to look at in the life of David. The first one is that he is satisfied with solitude. Solitude is where you seek God's presence and rest there. Where you love God's presence. You desire God's presence. You go after God's presence. There he is alone in the shepherd's field. And he's keeping the sheep. And, and it was in this shepherd's field, by the way. It's in the shepherd's field where David learned to lead. I, I want you to not despise small beginnings. Where you are. And what you're going through is exactly where you need to be and exactly what you need to be going through in order for God to prepare you that you would become the person he has for you to be. David had to become a worshiper. He learned it in the field. David had to become a warrior. He learned it in the field. David had to learn how to lead not from the crowd. He learned it in the shepherd's field, in the place of solitude. The place where he was alone with God, away from man. God put him in this place to develop him by a spiritual discipline. The spiritual discipline is known as the spiritual discipline of solitude. Seeking God's presence and resting there. Many times this isn't a word that we're accustomed to. Solitude is rarely celebrated. There seems to not be much there to celebrate. But solitude is essential for every single leader that God has ever raised up. I don't have to, time to go into all of it, but look at Elijah, look at Paul, look at David, it's, look at Gideon. It's one of the essential ingredients that God uses. If you want to be used 
by God. You have to get alone with God. It's in the shepherd's field where God chooses. This is someone that reminds me of the leader that I'm going to be. And, and, and we see that not only, not only did, did uh, David model this behavior, but Jesus, the greatest leader who's ever lived, he modeled this behavior of solitude. Go read it. Every time Jesus gave out, the Bible says he would draw away. Every time he poured out, he would draw away as if he's trying to show a rhythm for us. When you give out, you have to withdraw to receive. If you've never received, you've got nothing to give. You give from the overflow of your heart. And Jesus showed this. The Bible says he got up early in the morning and he went to pray. This was Jesus's model. He got up early before anyone else and he prayed so that he would have the might and the power and the connection with God to be used for that day. You know, I, I think God knew I was going to preach this this morning. So he sent my son to wake me up at 5 a.m. in the morning because he wanted a banana. That's crazy. But he got a banana, and I'm about to get back into bed, and I heard God say, you know, why don't you pray with me? And it's like, no, 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 that's a banana, God. That's not the Holy Spirit. But I felt God say, you're about to preach today, right? What are you going to preach about? Getting up early and praying? Why don't you try it? Okay. <laughs> Conviction. <laughs> how does God speak to you? <laughs> That's how he speaks to me. If This sermon better be good because I've been praying since five in the morning. <laughs> it's solitude where you can hear the voice of God. Sometimes it's very difficult to hear the voice of God unless you're alone with God. God's not going to shout over your friends. He's not going to shout over the television. He's not going to shout over talk radio. And he's not going to uh, possess you from your screen. God's going to wait until you've quieted yourself. And then God will say, now I'll speak. But it will always be a still, small whisper. It's found in solitude. And I want you to know there's a difference between isolation and solitude. Isolation is where you move away from God. Solitude is where you move towards God. Isolation is a place you go to because of your pain. Solitude is a place where you bring your pain before God. Isolation is where you go towards the flesh. Solitude is where you go towards the spirit. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. And the difference is solitude is the pursuit of God. Isolation is running away from God. I pray that we are people that know the distinction, can practice the distinction of getting alone for God. It was in solitude that David began to know God, and God began to know him. And all those years later, when David became, became king, he could write from this perspective of a real relationship, and he penned the greatest psalm ever written, Psalm 23. And what does he say about God? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. How does he know? Because he was a shepherd. He knew how he knew the sheep by name. He loved the sheep. He cared for the sheep and he guarded the sheep. And he learned, this is the kind of leader God is. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. It was the practice of solitude that opened his eyes to an aspect of, of God that is so powerful that in man's most difficult moments, these are the words that we quote. When we've got no one else, 
When we are at our worst, we quote the words that David discovered in solitude with God. Many of us feel alone in this world because we are never alone with God. St. Augustine says this, our heart is restless until it rests in you. Once it finds Jesus, once it finds the Spirit of God and stays there and practices solitude, that's when we begin to become stable. That's where we, we are led by still waters. That's where we do get fed from the Lord. That is where we find pasture. But know this, you have to schedule solitude. Solitude will never, ever, ever happen by accident especially if you have kids. It will nev- you'll never trip into solitude. You'll never, you'll never get home one day and be like, wow, I'm, I'm alone. Lord, again? It will never happen. Solitude is something that has to be sought. And, and I would even say it has to be scheduled. If, if something's important, you schedule it. I would encourage you to find five minutes in your day, and I would, I would encourage you five minutes in your day in one area of your week for solitude. I, I, I want to differentiate those two things because I believe it should be practiced throughout the day. Whenever you get a, a moment, and, and, and I, I want to, and there's different opportunities for that, but I also think there needs to be large areas of your life where you turn off the TV, where you turn off your phone, where you stop scrolling, where you look at your kids, and you spend time as a family in God's presence. And that's Sabbath, and, that, and that's a, an amazing aspect that I, I can't speak about today, but, but it's an amazing aspect of, of communal solitude. But, but I would encourage you, every day, schedule it into your day. Maybe, maybe it's when you're driving to work. You dropped off the kids, and now you're going to work. Can I encourage you? That's a great moment for solitude. Turn off talk radio. You don't need that garbage. Turn off sports news, and let the Holy Spirit hear you, and and listen to the Holy Spirit. Give that moment. Maybe when you go for a run, you quiet the music for the last three minutes of it, and you let the Holy Spirit speak to you, and you speak to him. Maybe it's a moment where you meditate on a scripture. I, I would encourage you a great way to practice solitude is sit silently for five minutes. We're going to try that right now. I'm kidding. <laughs> Some people just have like, a, like an existential crisis. Like, oh God, it's my worst nightmare. <laughs> you might think five minutes is no big deal. You try it. Oh, it's tough. But I'm telling you, you could go, start with two minutes. Go to four minutes. Go to five minutes. Go to ten minutes. And just listen for the Lord. I, I would encourage you to... Be purposeful about this practice because this is where God begins to work on your heart. Sit in silence, play an instrument, journal, listen rather than speak because it's, it's in the solitude of the shepherd's field that God begins to work on your inner self, which is the second aspect of godly leadership that we see in David's life. We see that there is inner health. I, I came across this verse as I was reading it. I'd never seen it before. But the Bible describing David said he was uh, ruddy and youthful and handsome. And it's like, I receive it, Lord. It says all those things. <laughs> and everyone's like, that's not funny. All right. It says that he was handsome. But then the Bible says this amazing phrase. It says that he was glowing with health. How many people want to be glowing with health in their mind? in their body. Isn't that an amazing phrase? He was as if it was emanating from within outward. 
people looked at him and said, there's something, there's something about you that's, that's healthy, that's well, that's pure, that's clean. He was glowing with health. Like, like after Moses came down from the mountain, they couldn't even look at his face because he was glowing. See, what happens is when you get alone with the Spirit, the Spirit gets inside you, and what's in starts to come out. God's desire for you is that you would be healthy and that you would be whole from the inside out. That's God's desire for you. Hear me, in Eden, there was no disease. And in heaven, there will no, be no disease. It was not God's plan for us to be sick and down in disease. That's the trials and the tribulations we're going through right now. But I want you to know that's not God's desire and it's not God's eternal promise and it's not God's design. God's design is for you to have health. But I would say not just on the outside because health starts on the inside. I've known people who were sick in their body, but healthy in their heart. And even as they're lying in that bed, there's health that's emanating from them because the part of them that is eternal is healthy. The part of them that will live on is healthy. He was glowing. He was glowing. Health begins within. And this is what God was looking at. When, when Samuel's looking at Eliab's height, and, 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 and when he's looking at all the stature of the sun, God tells Samuel, do not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. And health begins in your heart. Because if you don't have a healthy heart, eventually everything you touch becomes turbulent, poisoned. You could be on the most incredible vacation in the world, but if you don't have a healthy heart, it could be calm on the outside, but hurricane on the inside. You could have an amazing home. You could have two and a half kids, one dog, white picket fence, the total American dream. But if you don't have a healthy heart, eventually what's in will come and poison without. God wants to work on your heart. And God does it in solitude through his spirit because what's inside eventually shines through. You imagine with me for a moment your dream car. See it in your mind. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a Shelby Mustang or maybe it's a brand new Tesla or uh, maybe it's a Subaru. I don't know. <laughs> a Volvo with a, uh, you know, a Jesus fish on the back. Whatever your, <laughs> whatever your dream car is. Now imagine that you got that dream car today. You went to the dealer, got a great deal. You're driving at home, excited to show all your friends, happy, elated. But when you go to turn on the radio, the windshield uh, washers turn on. When you, go to, when you go to turn your blinker on, I'm kidding, you don't ever use your blinker. When you go to turn your, when you go to turn your AC on, the warning lights start flashing. Can you imagine if all of a sudden in that brand new car, the, 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 the engine gets overheated, and now it begins, it begins to, to steam up. You pull over, you find out that you're, you're almost out of gas. It doesn't matter how good the car looks on the outside. If there are problems and issues on the inside, eventually they'll show on the outside. Some of you are trying to live life, but your wires got crossed. Things that shouldn't be connected are connected. 
You can't figure out why you're triggered on this thing, but it's connected with that thing. And it started so many years ago, you can never even untangle those wires. You look under the hood and it doesn't even make any sense. You can't figure out why the gears of your emotions are always grinding together. But, but if you were able to look under the hood, you would see that this car has got no oil. It's got no ability for things to work smoothly. It's got, it's got no one's taken care of it. It's, it's had no maintenance. You, you want to you wanna do things for God. You just feel empty. Your tank is empty. You got no force. You got no horsepower. I'm I'm here to to tell you it's what's inside that needs to be healthy. It's what's inside that counts. Not the look. Not the projection because it doesn't matter how great that car looks if it's on the side of the road. And we live in a society that is obsessed with looks. Obsessed with the look of our house and the look of our clothes and the look of our cut and the look and the look and the look. And yet the thing that matters most is inner health. And eventually what's in will shine outwards. But David, David had inner health. And it began to come out of his life because that matters more than the external appearance. And and here, here David gives us the key. David gives us the key to this kind of health. He says this in Psalm 23, he is the one who restores my soul. He's the one, not vacations, not my bank account, not sitting down watching Netflix, not not football, all the things we think. I just I just need I just need a little bit of time. Not a new relationship. As good as your kids are, they're not the ones. He's the one that restores your soul. He adds oil. He brings horsepower. He knows where the wires got crossed, and if you will allow him. Be truthful, he'll go deep into your life. He'll begin to reorder things. I'm not saying it will happen in one week, but it will happen over a lifetime. If you continually come to the altar, God will lift the hood and say, all right, let's get to work. Let's check the oil. If you get some good books, Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Meyer, a celebration of discipline, get some good books, get in the word of God, God will get in there and he'll do the deep work. If you'll be truthful and you'll be honest about the areas of your life that are truly broken, and I mean honest to yourself, honest before God, if you commit to truthfulness, God will say, then I will commit to your health. I'll restore your soul. We see that David, in solitude, met the Holy Spirit, got a deep work done in his heart, and now God is ready for him to step into the next season of his life, which is a season of leadership. And I feel that, I really feel it for the church, certainly for this church, I feel that we are stepping into a season of leadership. And I'm, I'm going to close right now, but, but in order to lead, God needs to anoint him for the appointment that he's given him. And so the third quality of a godly leader that we see is a godly leader is anointed with oil and the Holy Spirit. You would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. When David shows up, God says to Samuel this sentence. He says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. I want you to know you're the one. You're the one that God has chosen to use in your context in this hour. You are the one. Say, I'm waiting for someone else. I'm here to tell you The cavalry isn't coming. You are the one. Cavalry, cavalry, cavalry isn't coming. 
Calvary already came. The cavalry isn't coming. <laughs> Church joke. <laughs> you are chosen. Here's the good news. You're also anointed. God will anoint you with his spirit for this next season. And let the next season not be like the last. Whether it was good or most likely bad, let that last season come to a close. And let new anointing, a fresh anointing, come on you for a new season. If you want to lead, you must receive. You must receive the spirit of God. David couldn't lead out of himself, his talents, his abilities. He was a no name and a no one. But when the oil of God came on him, he was set apart. And that's the truth. It is the Holy Spirit that sets you apart. Hear me again. It is the Holy Spirit that sets you apart. And you thought it was you. I want you to know it's not your height that sets you apart. It's not your accolades that sets you apart. It's not your good looks that set you apart. It's not the things you've accomplished that set you apart. I want you to know it's the Holy Spirit that set you apart. It's the Holy Spirit. If you come up with a new idea and everyone's blown away, look at this guy. What have you been working on over the weekend? You were in the Holy Spirit over the weekend. It's the Holy Spirit that sets you apart. You need to know this because you might start thinking it's you and that's where pride comes in. No, it's all God. You were the shepherd in the middle of the field. Thank God God saw you. It's the spirit that sets you apart, not your personality. Well, you think everyone just likes me. I'm just likable. I'm just smart. I'm just a problem solver. No, you've got the Holy Spirit on you. That's what's attractive to people. That's what helps you come up with the new ideas. That's what helps you solve things in the middle of the night. It is the Holy Spirit that sets his people apart. People won't even know what it is about you. They're just attracted to you. You know that the Holy Spirit makes even unattractive people attractive. There's a lot of amens on that one. That's good. A lot of single people are saying amen. I need the oil and I need a lot of it. Something about the spirit's attractive. Think about it. They said, David, he just had a glowing health. I hope you have a glow on you. I hope it's on your face. Do you know one of, do you know one of the, the translations? said that he had beautiful eyes. But it's not just talking about the color of his eyes. The eyes are the window to the soul. It's talking about when you looked at him, you saw purity, you saw cleanliness. There was something attractive about what's on the inside of him. That's what the Spirit wants to do for you. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.